Lord Jesus, you are it. You are the only one that can make us whole, that can really make us satisfied. All other ground is shifting sand. So, Lord, please speak to us through the power of your word, through what I say, through the thoughts in our minds in these next few minutes to draw us closer to you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. When, uh, whenever I am stressed out, one of the ways that I escape is to log on to the live camera at the Sheraton Maui and imagine myself on the beach. <laughs> Sounds really good this weekend, doesn't it? By your laughter, I'm sensing that you, maybe you do something similar every now and then. You know, it seems that we spend a lot of energy wishing that we were somewhere else in life. Some other job, some other house. For some people, some other spouse, some other place financially. A while back, a man I know was on a plane with his two small kids and they were making a lot of noise and the man in front of them turned around and said, are those your kids? My friend said, yeah. And the man said, man, my wife and I would give anything to have two kids. And my friend said, you don't have any kids? And the man said, no, we have five kids. We'd give anything to have two. <laughs> Been there? We spend a lot of time a lot of energy wishing that we were somewhere else. But the problem is when we get to that somewhere else, those places don't usually satisfy for very long. Sort of like the Southwest Airlines commercials. You know, they say you want to get away, fly Southwest. What they don't tell you is that you'll be getting away in a little middle seat with two linebackers on either side of you and eating a dry sandwich you paid 20 bucks for. That's what happens when we go to those places that we think will make us happy. They don't. We get the promotion only to want relief from the stress of the new job. We get into a relationship only to discover that that other person isn't as perfect as we are. <laughs> we get the new house and suddenly it still feels too small, so we redo the kitchen and regret it. Everybody says they need just one thing. What they really mean is they need just one thing more. That's why when we're in one of those places, those escape places that we're just sure is going to make us happy, one of the questions God asks us is, what are you doing here? And is it working for you? All of that buying new things to put some excitement into your life. The addiction you turn to to escape. The career that promised to fulfill you. Constant achievement in order to win approval. Are they working? Are you fulfilled yet? What are you doing here? Because what God says to us is, wherever you are, i got something bigger, richer, deeper, better, way more exciting than that place you run to. Just sure that it's going to make you happy. Whenever my wife and I eat out, she does this really annoying thing. She fills up on all of the bread before the meal comes. And so when the real meal comes, she's not hungry anymore. But, of course, we still pay for it, right? That's sort of like the places that we run to. Think they're going to make us happy. It's like filling up on bread when God offers us filet mignon instead. And that's what Elijah discovers in the story that I'm going to look at today. And I want to do something a little different than I normally do. I want to walk through this story a couple of verses at a time. Now, if you remember a few months ago, we talked about the story that immediately precedes this one. Elijah the prophet. There's a queen named Jezebel who worshipped a false god named Baal. And she killed anyone who followed God in order to get people to worship Baal since it made her so happy. So Elijah puts a, puts a, a sacrifice on an altar and says, whichever God sends down fire from heaven, that's the real God. And Baal's people pray all day long, nothing happens. 
And then Elijah prays, fire comes down out of the sky, consumes the sacrifice, and as I said before, that's a good day at the office if you're a prophet. But Jezebel does not like that. So she hires some hitmen to go kill Elijah. And we'll pick up the story there. It says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life into the wilderness. And he came to a bush, sat down under it and prayed, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Ever been there? Ever been there? You know, Elijah here could write a book called How to Get Depressed in Three Easy Steps. One, go somewhere by yourself. Two, focus only on the negative. Three, forget everything that God has done. Like the fact that you just called down fire from heaven yesterday. Okay, if one Sunday as I'm preaching, fire comes out of the sky from heaven, I will not get depressed until at least Wednesday. When I have to start working on the next sermon, because how do you top that, right? That's us, right? The perfect vacation, the pat on the back from the boss, the brand new flat screen TV to watch the Mariners on. Not that it's crossed my mind. It's cool for a while, but then doesn't last, does it? Elijah's trying to escape to a thing he thinks is going to make him happier. But what God's going to do is he's going to step in and offer him three things that make life bigger, richer, better than any place Elijah could run to. So let's keep reading. It says, He lay down and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And by his head was some bread and a jar of water. Here Elijah discovers the first thing that God offers us, and that is personal connection to a leader who cares. Jesus is our Lord, but he doesn't just bark orders at us. He cares about us intimately and personally. One of our elders this week told me about her son named Chris, who was a sergeant in the army who was killed in Iraq. And the people he led would do anything for him because of the ways he served them and loved them. While he was at a base in the U.S., he would do simple things like mow one of his guy's lawns just because the guy didn't have a lawnmower. When one of his men went AWOL, Chris prevented him from being discharged, but also got into his face and said, you need to grow up, take responsibility, and he helped that young man do that and turn into a great soldier. One colonel asked once to meet Chris because he'd heard so much about him from the people who had served with him or who wanted to serve with him. That's how Jesus leads us. He is our Lord. But he also cares about the intimate personal details of our lives. It's a very personal relationship. And you see it here. It starts with just the basics. God gives Elijah food and rest. A lot of times when life feels overwhelming, it's real simple. We're not living out the balanced life that God designed for us. We're not living into the rhythms that he created for us. We need to do some simple things like eat and sleep. My wife, for instance, gets very grouchy if she doesn't eat, which is why when I proposed to her, I loaded her up with tons of food. <laughs> Otherwise, she might have said no. And we need to sleep. Regularly, you know, the Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. If you get to the end of the day and you feel like escaping, that's because you ran out of that day's mercies. You need to go to sleep, wake up, get a new batch of mercy. Jesus cares for us by providing for our needs. And sometimes that's as simple as him telling us, go to sleep. But more than that, he cares for our soul. Let's keep reading. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And in asking that question, God is trying to get Elijah to see that he's running away. 
He's trying to open Elijah's eyes. But Elijah avoids it in the way that a lot of us avoid things, by blaming others. Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Okay, a little drama there, Elijah. Right? Calm down, it's going to be okay. But Elijah here engages in my favorite form of prayer, whining. I do a lot of complaining to God. But here's the cool thing about God. He listens anyway. He listens anyway. And then God says, go, stand on the mountain, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord is not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, which is an interesting detail, parenthetically. You wouldn't make that up. You wouldn't put that in there if you were making it up. It reads like an eyewitness account. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Second time, God asks. And I love the fact that God shows up in the whisper, not the earthquake, wind, or fire. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, I usually want a big display of God's power. Show up in a big way, God. And that's that's part of why Elijah has gone to Mount Horeb. That's where Moses received the Ten Commandments. Elijah is looking for a repeat of the same pyrotechnics. And sometimes God does show up dramatically. But you know what? Often God speaks to us in the ordinary, everyday parts of our lives. It's just that the busyness of our lives drowns out his voice. And we, we don't even notice when he's talking. We have to slow down enough to listen to him and notice the little ways that he's speaking. He's always speaking. It'd be like if you were standing on a busy corner with traffic going by. If if the traffic stopped, you could hear that there are birds chirping all the time. He's always speaking, but the busyness of our lives drowns him out. We need to slow down and listen. Because often he speaks in ordinary ways. This week I was feeling a little discouraged about some stuff. And at one point I said, hey God, you know, help me out here. I'm battling some discouragement. Within the next hour, I got three encouraging emails. It's unusual to get that many in one hour. Now, I easily could have missed that. But I believe that's God kind of speaking to me in the ordinary parts of life, prompting those people to send the emails at the exact moment I needed them. God speaks to us most often through ordinary things like our friends or Scripture or through the events of our life. We just need to slow down to notice what God's doing. And then there's one more way that God here is showing that Elijah that he is a leader who cares, that he is a Lord who loves. That is, you know, you'll notice in this story, God asked Elijah the question twice. What are you doing here? Probably asked to ask Elijah twice because Elijah wouldn't shut up, right? Elijah, what are you doing here? And that's God patiently pushing Elijah to notice the ways his behavior is keeping him from being everything he could be. And that is one of the most caring things God can do. Point out the ways that we ourselves are hurting ourselves because sometimes we don't see ourselves or we don't see our actions the way other people see us, right? The other day I was in my gym and out of the corner of my eye I I noticed this man and this thought went through my head, boy, that old man looks grouchy. And then I realized it was a full-length mirror. (laughs) Sobering little moment. We don't always recognize what we're doing. But through those nudges of conscience we get from the Holy Spirit, 
through some, something a friend says or a pastor. God cares for us, shows us how much he loves us by pointing out the ways we ourselves are our own worst enemies and getting in the way of what he wants to do in our lives. In this long dialogue with God, Elijah discovers that he, yes, he serves the Lord, but he serves a Lord who loves. He serves a very personal Lord who goes all the way. He's so personal, he'll even tell him when to go to sleep and provide food for him. Who puts his hand on our shoulder and stands by our side and guides us and helps us grow and asks us questions. And when we experience that, really experience that, life gets deeper, richer, better. Because we have personal connection with the God of the universe. And there is no more exciting thing than that. And when we experience that, we don't need to run away to some other thing we think is going to make us happy. But that's not all God does. The second thing Elijah discovers is that Jesus leads us into an adventure with significance. Let's keep reading. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and anoint Yehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And then there's a lot of instructions about how to go have a battle. In other words, God is saying, Elijah, I'm not done with you. You're not, you're not washed up. This isn't the end. There's still a battle to fight, but there's still an adventure. And I want you on my side. I want you on my team. I don't want you on the bench. There is still something out there. And it's, a ba- and it's exciting and it's an adventure. And those two words, go back, are very significant. When we try to escape, when we try to find fulfillment in something else, whether it's career or vacation or an addiction or or whatever it is, when we try to find that fulfillment there, God will always say to us, go back. Go back. He gives us rest. He cares for us. But then he sends us back into the battles of life because that's where he's going to meet us. That's where he's going to become most real. Not in the escape places, in the battles of life. I experience God way more here in the pressures of my life and of my work, way more than I experience him when I'm looking at the webcam at the Sheraton Maui. And this is what makes Jesus different than than, than anyone else, and it's what makes life with him such an adventure. When we go, because we can go into our offices, into our neighborhoods with him and say, Lord Jesus, what do you want to do here? How can I be a part of what you're trying to accomplish here? When we go into our offices or our neighborhoods as God's secret agents drop behind enemy lines to build his kingdom there, life becomes a huge adventure. A simple way you could, you could experience this is just sign up for the service day in August. It's a little, it's a little way to to be a part of what God is doing because when someone asks you, when someone thanks you for cleaning up their yard or, or helping them set up their classroom and says, why are you doing this? Well, you feel like you're part of what God is doing in the world. You can do that through tutoring, teaching Sunday school, or simply going into your office every day and asking, Lord, how can I be a part of what you want to get done here? A man I know decided that one of the best ways to make life an adventure was to really seriously pray for people. And he said that he was, he was kind of tired of the fact that in most churches, older women do all the praying. Nothing wrong with that, but where are the men and why don't they pray? So he started a prayer group of all men, and they called it the Fight Club, because that's what prayer is. It's a battle. And one of the people they prayed for was a woman who had had five miscarriages. And she was pregnant for a sixth time, but she was showing all the same symptoms that preceded the other miscarriages. So the fight club took up their call to arms and they began to pray for this woman every single day. And she ended up having a very healthy baby boy. And right after the baby was born, she took it to the fight club and each of those guys took turns holding this baby that they had prayed into existence all of them with tears running down their macho faces. My friend said it was a huge rush. Better than any escape, better than a new car, new house, new job, new vacation. 
because he felt like he had partnered with God in creating a miracle. And that's a rush. Who would think that something as ordinary as prayer could be an adventure? But when we follow Jesus, that's what happens. Life becomes an adventure. He is a leader who cares about us personally. He gives us an adventure with significance. And finally, he gives us teammates for the journey. He gives us community. At the very end of this story, God says to Elijah, Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. You know, both times Elijah gives his little pity party speech. He ends it by saying, I am the only one left. And God says, well, uh, no, there are 7,000 people who are on your side, Elijah. You can kind of see Elijah going, oh, okay, well, other than that, I'm all alone. God showed Elijah that there was a community waiting to stand shoulder to shoulder with him in the battles of life. The guys in that prayer group that I just told you about, they were a band of brothers having an adventure together. One of the reasons I want you men to sign up and go to the men's retreat is so that you can meet some folks. Have a community. God offers us so much more than the places we run to. He is a leader who personally gets involved in our lives and cares for us. And he gives us an adventure that is significant, not just an escape. And he gives us teammates for the journey. A good friend of mine who's in his mid-30s has spent a lot of time thinking that if only he could be somewhere else, then he'd be happy. So he went to Nashville to try to be a professional musician. And he got tired of that pretty quick. So then he took a turn working for me at my old church, and shockingly, that did not fulfill him. And then he went to seminary to become a pastor, still wasn't satisfied. Then he landed a job that promised to be everything that he'd ever dreamed of, but his boss didn't give him much authority and kind of treated him like an intern, didn't give him really any challenges. So he sent out his resume to find yet another job and got a great job in Southern California. Well, he called me to ask my advice, and it was a great job, so I said, take it. And then he called me a few days later, still undecided, and I said, take it. And then he called me a few days later, and I said, take it. And then he called me a few days later and said, I'm not taking it. Am I a leader or what? <laughs> and he said, well, I was praying about it, and I think I heard Jesus say something. I realized I've been running from one thing to the next my whole life, thinking it's going to make me happy. And some of the things have been great, but they haven't satisfied long term. I think the issue's in here. And what God showed me is that there are three things I look forward to every week. My small group Bible study with my friends, seeing my counselor who helps me know me, and the people that I'm mentoring and serving, being with them. He said, this isn't about finding the perfect job. This is about what man, kind of man I'm going to become. And I think Jesus needs me to stay here, even if it's hard, because these are the people and these are the situations that can make me whole. And I need to learn to be whole here because so that I can be whole somewhere else. Because life's always going to have stuff you've got to deal with. So he stayed in the job that he hated. That was two years ago. He is a different man today. When he worked for me, he had such a bad temper, he'd sometimes come into our college group, throw his guitar down on the ground, muttering and cussing under his breath. He doesn't do that anymore at all. There's this peace inside of him. And he stopped blaming other people for his problems. He has confidence like I've never seen him. He commands the respect of people twice his age. He's not depressed anymore. He has joy and hope. Not that everything's perfect. He's still got problems. We always have problems. But he's connected to Jesus in a way he never has been before because he felt Jesus intervene personally in his life. And he's connected to those friends he talked about in a deeper way because he stayed for them. And his job started to become an adventure. It didn't change much at first, but his job became an adventure because he approached it differently. 
Rather than saying, how can this job fulfill me? He said, Lord, how are you going to use this job to make me who you want me to be and do what you want to do? He didn't. He stopped trying to get meaning from his job and brought meaning to his job. And then he began to see the ways that God was working in the lives of his co-workers and some other people in that church. And he was able to get on board with what God was doing, be part of healing those people. And that was an adventure for him. And gradually his bosses started giving him more responsibility. And now he's preaching in that church all the time. And a whole lot of people will say he's changed their life. And when someone says, you changed my life, that is a huge rush because you know you've been part of what God was doing with that person. And he's changed my life. I learned something from him. You know, I was his pastor and I missed the point. I'm, I was so conditioned to think that happiness is somewhere out there, somewhere else, that, that I missed that real joy is found through connection to Christ, significance instead of success, and community. And that's what my friend found right where he was, not somewhere else. And his life got a whole lot better once he stopped listening to me. So what are those places you're trying to escape to? Thinking if you can only get to them, then you'll be happy. And how's that working for you? Well, you turn to Jesus instead through prayer, through scripture, through slowing down enough just to notice the ways he's talking to you every day. Because he offers so much more than that place you're running to. He offers connection with the God of the universe who loves and cares for us. Significance, adventure, and teammates for the journey. Right where you're at, not somewhere else. It is the difference between dry white bread and filet mignon. So what are the places you're escaping to? And what are you doing there? Lord Jesus, help us to know that life and hope are found only in you. And help us to turn to you and follow you with everything we've got. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.